the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We're in a section of scripture that talks about how to get along better with others. And since the main theme of the book of Philippians is joy, I'm sure that most all of you can identify that when you are not in a good, healthy relationship with another person, when you're at odds, that somehow the joy that you really uh, enjoy isn't there. And so today I want to continue our series on how to get along better with others. Doesn't it amaze you? to some degree, how people really can't get along with one another. If you talk to anyone in law enforcement, you'll find that out. We have someone here in our fellowship that dispatches police officers when there's a 911 call. And she was telling me most recently that it seems now that there is an incredible amount of road rage here in Hawaii. And that surprises me because a lot of our people really drive with aloha here, don't they? I wonder if it's some of those mainlanders that have come over with that same driving rage that now has affected and infected us as well. And so the law enforcement people will say that they can't get along. You go into the legal world, it seems like the legal world is just generated by conflict with one another. And what you find in the legal world is most attorneys are there as advocates. They're representing one person involved in an argument against another person that's involved in an argument, whether it's a plaintiff or a defendant in the case. And so Poor attorneys, they're just embroiled in nothing but conflict all the time. And then I think about those that are involved in marriage and family counseling. And those of you that might be counselors know that you hear an awful lot of unhappiness between husbands and wives, between kids, between parents and in-laws and outlaws, we might say. And so those people are involved in a lot of conflict as well. And anyone that's involved in pastoral work, whether there's conflict when you hear them in the office, whether there's a breakdown in a marriage situation or someone on the job is struggling with a fellow employee or an employer, we hear a lot of that as well. And I have to tell you, even as your pastor, that there are times when I hear that when things aren't really right between you and another person, it really brings into my heart some great sadness as well. So I want you to know that I hope that today's message will really bless you like it has blessed me. I decided to do a scripture search to find out where was the very first argument. And it goes back to the first family. And I don't mean our president and his wife, but I'm sure if they're like any normal family that they've had conflict too. But the first family in the Bible goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And we know that the very first murder occurred in the very first family between Cain and Abel. So it seemed like when sin entered into the world, right off the bat, there was conflict. And conflict now has infected the rest of humanity. And if I could take it from the Bible all the way to today, 
I wouldn't be a bit surprised if some of you this week have had harsh words with another person in your family. It could have even been this morning getting ready for church so that you'd be at church on time and get ready for the day's events. So we don't have to go too far away to know that there's a lot of conflict. And of course, if you open up our newspaper, isn't there a tremendous amount of conflict? I don't need to tell you how much is happening out there in conflict. So that happens. And so what I'd like to do is to bring to you today some practical principles for those of you that are kind of um, burdened by the conflicts that are going on in your world. So let's look at, we begin here by talking about the appeal to get along. So let me take you back to the Apostle Paul. He spoke to the whole issue of unity and harmony to three different churches in the Bible. One church was a church at Rome. He wanted them to be like-minded. Another was a church at Corinth. They were filled with a lot of older Christians but were immature because immature people are in conflict with one another. And so he spoke to them very harshly to them when they were in conflict. But then he spoke to those that were involved in the church at Philippi. The good news about the church at Philippi was this, that the church itself was not in conflict with one another. True, there was one set of ladies that had a little bit of a conflict, but the church itself wasn't embroiled in constant conflict and schisms and divisions. But you'll find that it was that case in Corinth. So here's what he did at the church at Philippi. What he did at Philippi was simply this. He said, I want this church to be a strong church that it would not have conflict in their life. So what they did then is he says, I'm going to give it as more of a preventive maintenance. And so I look to you people right here today. We are blessed in a church that isn't in conflict. Oh, yes, from time to time, I hear someone say something nasty about another person behind their back, and we have to deal with it. And yes, sometimes there's some conflict in a marriage, like there always will be. But the good news about this church is that we've learned to love one another right where they are. We've learned to put a bridle on our tongue, to give God the time to work in another person's life, and to come alongside those people and just bathe them with all the love that we can. And so Paul made that appeal to get along. And look what he said here in verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. And so that's what he wanted to do, was to have them to be like-minded. We talked about the appeal to get along. Now let's talk about the attitude to get along, and that is to have the same love toward one another, be of one accord and of one mind. So you can have the appeal that you're hearing, we need to get along. But it's not enough until we deal with the right attitude. Then all we're doing is managing our life according to these principles. But when we embrace the attitude of getting along, it will make the doing of those action steps so much easier. So let's look here at the attitude again. He wants us to have the same love or the same passion. And our passion needs to be for the word of God and the love that we have in obeying him. And then it talks about of one accord. We learned that that meant that we needed to be um, what you might call um, soulmates. That we look to each other and we've now decided that instead of looking at our differences that will divide, we're going to look at our agreements that unite us. And so if we do that, that makes us soulmates. And then one mind. To do that, that means we have to think the same thing. And what we choose to think about is that which really brings us together. And that is the word of God right here. The fact that we're going to obey it and we're going to honor the Lord wherever we might be. So that's our attitude. And you know what Paul said in his letter here that was so important? He says, fulfill you my joy by being like-minded. Nothing makes me happier than when I know 
that you are happy with one another, that you love one another. And so let's go over some of these action steps. All right, number one is to eliminate unhealthy competition. So that first blank, your little outline there is the word competition. It says eliminate unhealthy competition. But those of you that are following along, do me a favor though, besides writing in the word competition, go to the word next to it, the word unhealthy, and circle that word. Because I wanted you to know this, that competition is not necessarily bad. Most of us are designed to compete. It's when we step over the line from healthy competition where we're enjoying the competitive spirit that we have with one another. And all of a sudden now it becomes more all about us. And it's not winning. It's winning at any cost no matter what we do to do that. So that's why we say eliminate unhealthy competition. Now look at how Paul said it here. Very simply, he said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. You might want to underline the phrase nothing. And the reason we say that is that means that there is no outlet that's permitted for us to have improper ambition. So it says, let nothing be done. So in your own mind, you're going to have to let the Spirit of God, for those of you that are saying, I'm ready to change my way of doing business with other people, and say, am I doing anything that has selfish ambition in mind? That phrase, selfish ambition, was a word that was used when it talked about giving the gospel with pretense. In other words, that you were doing it with ambition. And God doesn't want us to be the improper ambition. Now, I was raised with an older brother that happens to be 15 years older than I am. About the time that I knew that I had a brother, he got married, and so it was almost like I had a, a, a long-distance brother. But at the same time, 15 months behind me was a brand-new sister. So I had an older brother, and I had a baby sister who was the darling of our family. And when she comes to the island, I want you to meet her. She is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. She has taught models at John Roberts Modeling School. This gal has got everything that I don't have. All the brains and the beauty has gone to her. Now, but growing up, though, I have to tell you, we had a lot of unhealthy competition. We used to compete to see how fast we could say our prayers together. All right, care. We're going to say this now, Marianne, here's where we're going to go. When I say go, let's pray. And we would pray as fast as we can. And we did this night after night after night. Maybe that's where I learned how to speak fast. I have no way of knowing, but I know we prayed until I got the great, brilliant theological that God can't hear two people praying at the same time. So now I had to end all of that. Now, that's not true, folks. That's not true. But there was a lot of competition. I remember we used to live in an old farmhouse that my dad constructed because of my mom's age, because they were much older when they finally had us, that he chopped a hole from the third floor all the way down into the basement and made what is known as a laundry chute. Have any of you lived in a house that had a laundry chute that was in the closet that you could drop it through? Some of you that know what I'm talking about. I convinced my sister that with the clothes in the basement three stories down below, that she could jump from up here through the chute into those clothes and she'd be okay. I want you to know that I had her absolutely convinced until my mom walked by that room and heard me doing that. That's called unhealthy competition. We laugh about it today, but it begins with that kind of competition. And so as I go back in my mind, do you know where some of that sibling rivalry begins? It can begin in the nursery. Then it moves from the nursery to the little playgrounds. Then it moves into school where you see kids that are arguing back and forth. Then you see it on the soccer field. But it's not only in the soccer field. It could be in the soccer field bleachers with mom and dad. 
Then it moves into college where there's a lot of competition going on for the best looking guy and the best looking girl and all that that goes on. You move that into the world of work and now you've got competition in work. Then you could have it in all sorts of clubs and then it spills over because you have at the root issue this unhealthy competition. And now you have people competing for positions of deacons and elders and rulers in churches, we might say, because we haven't been able to do nothing with selfish ambition. And so maybe if there's a conflict going on in your world right now, for just a moment, I know it's hard. Don't think about how ambitious the other person, person is selfishly. For just a moment, ask yourself, could it be that I have some selfish ambition? Let me give you a side note. There's a verse in Isaiah that says this, Seek great things for thyself, seek them not. Now, that doesn't say that you can't have ambition. It says you can't have selfish ambition. So seek great things, go ahead and do it. God wants us good, better, best, never let it rest till our good is better and our better is best. So he wants us to do better, but not for ourselves and for our own self-adulation in this. So that's why it says, seek great things for thyself, seek them not. Look at James 4, 1 says, where do wars and fights come from among you? And of course, we can talk all about political war over the international climate and landscape, but we could talk about where do wars come between husbands and wives, and how about fights between brothers and sisters, or how about moms and daughters? Where does it come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? And generally, when you desire pleasure, it's something you desire for yourself, so there's that selfish ambition, something you want so badly, that war within your members. So it happens everywhere that we can go. Now, one more thought, and then I'm going to move to the next point. There's another scripture verse in 2 Corinthians 10:12 that says this, this is very critical. It says, those who compare themselves among themselves is not wise. So let's talk about the dynamic, again, of competition. Competition starts by having this inner feeling like I've got to be better, do more, have more. I've got to be the king of the hill. Whatever it is, win the argument, win the bet, win the, the award, win the position, whatever it might be. All right, we have that. So then we begin to look at those that are around us. It's a natural thing to do. And so we divide them up into other people that are out there, and they may be a little bit further along. They're the ones that get picked for certain positions. They're the ones that get promoted. They're the ones that get the bonuses, whatever it might be. And we look at them, and because they're there, and we have selfish ambition, and we can't get where they are yet, it's the flesh desire then to begin to become critical about them. So we begin to, in some measure, demoralize them. And we'll do it by sharing it with our fellow friends. Oh, they're not as good. Or the reason they got in that position is favoritism. Or the, the process that got them there is flawed. Or they just are not fair. Or whatever we do to begin to discount this other person because we compared ourselves with them. They're, not as, they're, they're better than we are, so to speak. And we say, no, they can't be better than us, so there must be something wrong. And we're going to point out all the flaws. Now, the other side of that is true, too. So in order for us to feel better, though, we've kind of knocked them down a little bit where we're still not there. So our mind then goes this way. We compare ourselves with those who aren't as good as us. So now we look at and we say, you know what? I can run faster than they can. I can outsell that other person. I've got a better this than they have. And so to help us to feel better, we begin to balance out our relationships by knocking down those that are further than we are where we want to go or comparing ourselves thinking we're further ahead than those that are behind us. So we think that that's how we do it. And scripture simply says this, bottom line is, it is unwise. Now what you can do is to say, if the Bible says it's unwise to do that, then what are the awful consequences when we do? 
And so the first thing we need to do is to say, my goal, my value, my core value is oneness between the body. To do that, then I have to have an attitude of love, thinking the same thing, and wanting to be a soul mate. And watch this now, this is critical. That God is on the throne and he's sovereign. He'll put people up, put people down, and I am where I am. And so wherever that little rivalry might be, I'm going to assume that God has me there for a ministry and a purpose that I have. So for me to do this, I have to cease and I've got to stop unhealthy competition. So I'm not going to do the competitive way that's unhealthy. Now, normal competition is pretty healthy. How many of you uh, watched or listened to the UH game yesterday? Anybody do that here? Do we have any UH people? I knew something was happening. I wasn't watching the game. We had a fo folks coming to our house. But our neighborhood erupted into screams. I said, see, I don't have to pay for that on my cable. I just get them, just listen to my neighbors yelling, you know, so we'll see what they happen. Was that healthy competition? Probably with some. All right, number two, the second thing we need to do is to cease from conceit. You see, it's not just one. If you're going to bake this cake, ladies, of having unity and have a healthy relationship, then you've got to make sure all the ingredients are there. So the first is you've got to get rid of that unhealthy competition. But then you also have to cease conceit. And men... If you want to put the building up properly, you've got to make sure you have every part of that component together to make it work. So we cease conceit. Let's look at the verse again. It says, let nothing be done through, underline the word nothing. Again, there's no option for a second um, opportunity for this. Then it says, through conceit. Now that means there's no vain boasting, no empty glory, no pride. Because God says at the center of that is where this comes in. It becomes something where pride is there. Look on your little outline. Pride causes contention and quarrels. Pride causes contention and quarrels. Now, what I'm about to give to you is going to be a thermometer into your relationship of conflict. If you want to know where is probably the root source of our conflict, it's going to be right here in this. Pride causes contention and quarrels. Now, look at the verse. Would you read it out loud with me? By pride comes nothing but strife. Would you read it again? By pride comes nothing but strife. Now underline the word nothing. In one translation, I'll quote it, it goes like this. It says, only by pride comes contention. So if you're having a struggle in your marriage now, a continual chronic conflict, one or the other is wrestling with an inner demon. And the demon isn't going to be, did they pick up their shoes? Did they remember to bring home the, the, the bacon or whatever from the store? The inner demon that they have is pride. Spell the word pride with me out loud, everyone. P-R-I-D-E. Five letters. What's the center letter of the word pride? I. And so you're going to find that at the very center of that is going to be the issue of pride. Pride is I. Now, when you have pride, only by pride, you're going to have contention. What is contention again? It is conflict. So if you want to get along better with one another, the very first demon you have to slay is pride. And that demon is not going to be so much in the other person, although they'll have pride too. It's in ourselves as well. I've told this story for some of our people that remember this, but I have to tell you, if you want to know if you might have a propensity for pride, it will show up in your language. It goes like this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if your heart is filled with an attitude of self, I'm good, I'm great, it's all about me, it will come out in your conversation. A number of years ago, Carol was going to a shower. I can't remember if it was a wedding or a bridal or a baby shower. I don't remember. 
I think it was a wedding shower, but I'm not sure. It was about 20 miles away from where we live. Carol and I, as you well know, we are best buds. And so we do pretty much everything together. And so I told her, I said, Carol, I'll drop you off at the shower. What time is it supposed to be over? And she said, like, 4 o'clock. I said, okay, I'm going to go over to the park, which I like to do. And I brought my work with me, as most of you men probably would do too. You've got something to read, got something you want to work on, want to listen to a ball game, whatever. So I go to the park. It's really cool. And, of course, whenever a lady's shower is over, when they say it's over, it's always over at that time. Wrong. But not me. I'm Mr. Punctual. If you say it, you know, I have this little box, and some of you know me. It's not a good box, but it, is, it's, it's, it works for me. That's why I sometimes get in conflict. But anyway, so 4 o'clock. I show up for the shower that Carol's at. And, of course, I knock on the door. Hi. I, I'm, I'm already embarrassed because I, do, I don't do girl things at all well. Carol will tell you I will not walk through on the mainland when they have a Victoria's Secrets. I will not be caught dead in a Victoria's Secrets. I will not go there because I'm always thinking. You see how my perverted mind is? That someone in there is thinking I'm buying something for me to wear. You know? And so I won't go to those places. All right? So now I'm very, hi, I'm Carol's husband. Is Carol, is she ready to go? And these women, oh, come on in. This is Pastor Stan. Come on in. Oh, man. So I go in there. We're playing a game. Would you play a game with us? I don't know what game they're playing, and I don't want to play. But I knew I represented men. And so if I'm going to play this game, I'm representing all you testosterone-filled human beings out there. So I said, okay because I can win this thing, unhealthy competition. I'm already lost all the power I could possibly have. So I said, what's the game? And you, you ought to play this game sometimes. They, they hook, what do you call them, um, clothespins on your pocket. And what you do is you just walk around and talk story. And when you talk story, but if you use the word I, me, my, or mine, they're able to take one of those clothespins off your pocket. And the winner is the one who has the most clothespins by the end of a certain amount of time. And so I thought, oh, this is a piece of cake. I can, I can do this. I'm a master communicator. I know how to control what I say and not say. And so the lady comes up and says, so you've been waiting for Kara. Where have you been? I said, I've been at the park. Boom. I lost a clothespin. I'm honest. So what do you mean? I, I, oh, too late. Boom. Another one. I probably saw those clothespins fly off my pocket like a grenade going off. That, they went off that fast. Because my problem was that I still had an issue that I would talk about me. Now, some of you are going to leave here today and you're going to say, does that mean I, I can't use I, me, my, or mine? All I'm going to say is the more frequently you speak about yourself, you could have a problem with conceit. And if you're not sure that you do, then here's my suggestion on a practical, very pragmatic level. Ask the Lord to reveal to you if you are struggling with a me-first-itis disease... And then go to your earthly doctor, call mom or dad, call spiritual leader, call someone who really knows you well, who cares for you, to see if you have an issue with conceit. Because if you don't deal with this, only by pride comes contention. Notice the consequence is destruction. And it's especially relationships. If we continue with pride, we let the conceit bug thrive in us. It's going to destroy relationships. Notice the verse. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, here's what I'd like to do for just a moment. I want to take some of the edge off of this right here because some of you could very well and should very well come to this conclusion. You know what? 
I do have problems with relationships. And I do believe that God brought this message to me today. And I know that sometimes people have been saying I have a problem with being conceited or kind of talk about myself or I have to be the one that has the last word or whatever it might be. That's where you need to be. Then what you do is you say, Lord, I want you now to help me to see life is all about others and you and not about me. Now, here's where Satan is going to come in. Satan could be telling the few of you right here that can't handle what you're hearing about your guilt, and you're going to say, someone must have told them about what we've been going through. Someone's talking to the pastor right now, and everybody's talking about me, and everybody knows all about me, and I just can't stand this. I wish I could get out of here. I just want to get you know, I just can't stand this any longer. And some of you might say, well, what? Everybody else has this problem too. You know what? You were absolutely right. I have to tell you, everybody in this room has a problem with conceit. The only issue is some are sicker than others. Some have more of it than others. Some have learned to take the medicine to deal with the conceit bug sooner than others. But nobody, watch this, nobody is either too old or too young to cease conceit. Because God says that if we are to let nothing be done through conceit, he gives us the power and the wherewithal. So if you're smart enough to talk about yourself, you're smart enough to appropriate his power to cease conceit. So there's victory for you. So I want you to go out of here not beating up yourself or beating up others. I want you to celebrate that that can be corrected in your life and you win and all the relationships in your life will also win with you. Let's go to number three. So, okay, we decided to eliminate competition. We're not going to be so competitive that we always have to be first. We're going to work on our conceit and get rid of that because we know that when there's contention, there's pride, which deals with I, which means it's going to destroy relationships. Number three, don't criticize. The verse goes on to say, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. But in loneliness of mind, so there is where it begins. It begins in your mind. It begins in your attitude. Sin management is often done on the outside, but spirit-filled walking with God begins on the inside. So but loneliness of mind, you change your thought, you'll change your attitude. You change your attitude, you'll change your action. So you work with the lowliness of mind, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem. Circle the word esteem there because that's a word I don't use very often. So maybe another word would be the word value. So we're going to value others. So in lowliness of my mind, I'm going to value or see value in others. And that's going to help me do that. So when a person lacks humility, they often have a high opinion of themselves. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.